0: Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have Rahul here from Connecticut. Rahul, how are you feeling today? Relieved.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a really good word you've chosen over there, isn't it? It is. uh, The game was yesterday, but I still continue to feel relieved of just getting the three points. That was a tough game to watch, my friend. Indeed, it was and We expected it. You know, we feel good that we got the win. We did something that not many others have done away to Brentford this season. But, man, that was, you know, like in a boxing match, you see two fighters that have just given it all and they're exhausted at the end. That's kind of how I felt our squad felt at the end of that was they were in a fight. I like your analogy, but I didn't feel like we gave it our all. I think we were just getting pummeled on the ropes and hoping
0: that we would stand till the end of the match. Maybe my feelings are a little bit too raw right now, so I'll let you get started. You want to take us through the starting 11 that played Brentford on Saturday?
1: Yeah, so a little bit different than what we had predicted because uh, Rudiger, who had picked up an injury on international duty, missed out. I believe that might have been the first time he missed a game through injury under Tutu, maybe once last season towards the end. Uh, so it was Mendy and Gold, Chalaba, uh, Christensen, and Malung Star making his Premier League debut uh, in place for Rudiger. Uh, Espilaqueta, N'Golo Conte, Ruben Loftus Cheek, who came in place for, I believe it was Jorginho. Uh, Kovacic and Ben Chowell completed a midfield. Interestingly, we played a three man midfield. Uh, and then we had a two up top of Romelu Lukaku and Timo Werner. That back three of Chaloba, Christensen, and Saar is
0: just an interesting combination that I never thought we would get to see, at least this early on in the season and and against Brentford. But you're right, with Rudiger out and then Thiago Silva traveling and having to come back with only a few minutes before kickoff, basically, and has to quarantine as well. Then you talk about Reese James, who was uh, red-carded and then injured and not fit to start this game as well. It's like all that could go wrong could go wrong, (laughs) but... Honestly,
1: we'll get into it. I thought they had a really, really good, good, good performance from the three at the back. They absolutely did. I think, like you said, for the first time, the three of them featured together as a unit, uh, as a defensive three. Uh, Maybe, you know, in training and in preseason, they may have played a little bit together, but in an official game, Alonso making his Premier League debut. Chalabu and Christensen have been in and around the first team this season, played a few games. Uh, But going away to Brentford, under the pressure, just everything that was stacked against us in terms of injuries and all the issues we mentioned. I think three of them did exceptionally well uh, in terms of shutting out Brentford. And we'll get into the details of it. But for three guys that we paid absolutely zero dollars, zero pounds, whatever you want to call it, they came out big. They did indeed. What about the top two, Rahul? Do we like the formation
0: of the two in the front? Do we like it usually when there's three up top? What are your thoughts with Lukaku and Werner together?
1: I think, you know, I think I would prefer it with one more attacking player just because it adds a little more threat up top. But having said that, we, in that, at least in that first half, looked pretty dangerous with the two guys and either Kovacic or Conte or Loftus-Cheek making runs through from midfield. Uh, and then Ben will almost played like a left winger instead of a left wing back because most of the time he was up there uh, providing the width. So um, I personally prefer a third attacker. But in this case, I think when we need to pack the midfield, keep things compact, it's not a bad option to have two two guys like Lukaku and Werner.
0: You know, with three at the back and then traditionally you've got two in the middle, which is Kante, Kovacic or Jorginho most of the time we're pretty defensive and that's, that's not a bad thing to say. It just means we have enough cover that that third guy then becomes very useful in the front, especially in a game like Brentford where they are putting pressure, they are defending well, you need another body running onto balls or to open up space. And so I think with this formation and and I'm not saying Tuchel got it wrong. I'm just saying with this formation, we seem a little light up top to the point where I could see Lukaku and Warner getting a little frustrated of course, the service alone was not good, and we'll get into more details, but having another body to open up room for them to play would actually be very beneficial. Now, on the day this works out, it ends up being okay, but credit to maybe what you said, Ben Chilwell. I thought he was playing like a center forward at some point with the amount of times I saw him in the box. So maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. I know he's trying to find a bunch of different shifts and things. One thing we need to focus on is that three, the middle three, which is, Frank Kovacic, <laughs> N'Golo Kante, and then Ruben Loftus-Cheek. And I, I left Loftus-Cheek for last because he was playing that anchor, and I think I texted you saying RLC playing anchor? Question mark. What are your thoughts
1: on his performance? Uh, before I talk about Loftus-Cheek, I think Frank Kovacic has gone <laughs> back to Mateo <laughs> Kovacic. Um, but I, I was surprised to see Loftus-Cheek playing that anchor because that shows you the trust that he's earned from Tuchel uh, to be that guy that basically dictates play, dictates tempo in terms of what we do in attack and in defense. Uh, and loftus Cheek in that first 20, 25, even at least the first half, was exceptional with his runs. With Brentford could basically just not deal with him. Yeah. Um, and he had the physicality. He had the speed. He had the presence of mind when he was making certain turns with two guys on him yeah. to break free and burst forward. Uh, And then to have Kovacic and Conte, again, two guys that can run for days next to him doing, you know, the work for him in terms of dragging people or or taking defenders away. He put in a very good shift. And if this is the loftiest streak that we're going to be seeing for the rest of the season, I'm excited. Do you know what, Rahul? I think you
0: summarized his performance very well. I thought he was extremely elegant in that first half. With the composure, which was a big thing for me, especially when you you touched on multiple players trying to crowd around him. He just seemed to find a way with fancy footwork or neat footwork to get out of the tight spots. He didn't do anything extravagant, maybe that's the right word, but he did all the basics right. And I'm going to say something very controversial here. So <laughs> I apologize, but that first half lost his cheek. If he can play like that for 90 minutes, week in, week out, I think he's going to push Jorginho down the pecking order. And that's some big, big praise for Loftus-Cheek because Jorginho has been immense for the Chelsea team, but I think he will push him out just because he brings that physicality, which I have screamed for for the entire season that we've missed in the midfield. He really knows how to dominate the midfield. Now, the second half is a different story altogether. <laughs> and We'll get into that later,
1: but big praise for Loftus-Cheek. I thought he was brilliant in that first half. Yeah, he absolutely was. And he's, he's deserving of the games that he's getting. Uh, He's playing different roles in that midfield. He's even played further forward, like we spoke about a few episodes ago. Uh, And everywhere he plays, he impresses. So uh, I'm I'm excited. I'm happy for him because of that injury that you and I witnessed uh, live in person in that game in Boston. Uh, He's come back from it. I know he had a tough time at Fulham last season, but to come back and join Chelsea and push the likes of Jorginho, Saúl, You know, these are international players that have have performed for seasons. He's come in and said, Move aside. This is my time to shine. Yeah, honestly, I forgot about Saul, Rahul. I
0: feel really bad. I think (laughs) if I've pushed Jorginho down the pecking order, Saul will not be converted to a full time transfer with players like Lost his Cheek playing this well week in, week out. Now, whether he can keep up that, you know, performance every single game is yet to be seen. But again, I'm hopeful one of those things we've said made in Cobham, like Mason Mount, Shaloba, Christensen, the more that we can you know, pull out from the, from the youth team and they can become Chelsea through and through and win things with us, I think that's exciting. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, let's continue into the first half a little bit. I think we analyzed some of the important key moments. Do you want to run us through
1: maybe the, the only key moment of the match there? Yeah, the only key moment of the match comes towards the end of the first half, uh, which is a goal from Ben Chowell. Uh, on the balance of play on the run of things we deserve to be, get the lead I know Brentford did hit, hit the post uh, earlier in that half but we from that directing directly out right after that move we went up front uh, we went to the other end I beg your pardon and scored a goal which was offside so we kind of were in and around doing the right things team Werner had a couple of chances uh, but Ben Chilwell, pops up again, uh, I we've said it, I'm not going to take all the credit here, uh, to free this man and, and give him the opportunity and he's gotten that opportunity, two starts and two goals for Chelsea uh, and he also scored for England in, over the international break so he's not only performing but he's getting the goals as well.
0: Yeah three and three for him in all his starts and you know one thing I'll say, Chelsea is blessed with left wing backs or left backs, whatever you want to call them. I know people, and I personally talk about Alonso's defensive duty, but these two left backs could be strikers in any team and really show up week in, week out. But look, I think that's important. I think we've talked about when strikers are struggling. And in this case, we've known of Warner struggling for a little bit. Lukaku now coming off form, not necessarily scoring. It always helps when other players around the field definitely chipping with goals. And I think you or Alex have said this a few episodes ago, Chelsea have 12 or 13 different scorers so far this season, which is is very impressive to think about that. We're getting goals from all across the pitch. So maybe that takes a little bit of pressure off, but nothing to take away
1: from Chilwen and his strike. My God, he hit it sweetly. He did. He connected that, right? I mean, the whole posture, the body movement, the connection with the ball was, was bang on in the, in- a good goal. Uh, And I think I texted you before that goal went in I said, if we get the first goal, we go on to win this game. Well, we tested that to the max. Uh, (laughs) But I I always felt that if we were to get that first goal, Brentford would feel a little bit more pressure and that would give us the opportunity to maybe open up, uh, get some spaces further up the field and get a second, which didn't happen, Uh, but a good goal and and put us in a position to then defend our, our, our goal. (laughs) Yeah, when you said if we get that first goal, we'll
0: win. At the end of the game, and I know we're bouncing back and forth here, the entire match, 90 minutes, we had one shot on target and one goal. So that goal is worth all its weight in gold because honestly, yes, we got it. Yes, we won at the end of the day, but we had nothing else to to show
1: for after that. Yeah, we didn't. But uh, so second half starts, we'll kind of move forward here and – it was basically just an onslaught from Brentford. They turned it up. They moved from second, third, fourth to fifth, sixth, seventh gear and did everything right, to be honest, but score. And uh, there's one man to to thank and, and praise here, which is the guy in my background. If you're watching us on YouTube, you see him. It's Ed Wall Mendy. <laughs> uh, this man, my God, he came up big time after time blocking with his face, blocking with his chest, blocking with whatever part of his body he could get onto that ball he did and, and he saved us and kept us in that game. This could have been
0: bad. Honestly, if Mendy's not in goal and I'm not trying to disrespect Kepa for any means necessary, but if Mendy's not in goal and is not in the form of his life that like he is now, we could have been talking about a thrashing here like Brentford was, was all over us. And when I say all over us, they were ripping us apart. And look, the back three did a good job. I'm not going to throw them under the bus either. They did do a good job, but just the immense pressure that we crumbled under and the amount of times that they were one-on-one with Mendy or right up in his face and literally up in his face, like you say, saving the goal with his face. It's just crazy to think about, Rahul. And there's a lot of things going around about Mendy didn't make it onto the Ballon de short shortlist, which I don't really care. I know he deserves all the credits. Here we are giving him the credits because. If you look at his story, and we've said this many times, many times in this podcast, I think five, six years ago, he was on unemployment and here he is champion of Europe, keeping us
1: safe at Brentford. It doesn't get better than this. It doesn't. And honestly, he was the difference. I know Will gets the goal, but he was the difference between us getting three points and us getting maybe one or none. And you, you said it, he didn't make the Ballon d'Or list and, and it's a shame, but for him, even just being in this stage, being the center of attention in this game, being the center of attention towards the end of last season, from where he's come, it's just fulfilling for him to be to be here. And he went down towards the end of that first half. I think he picked up an injury. He came back, pulled off the save again. If you're watching on YouTube, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, a bicycle kick that comes in from one of the Brentford players and it's it's going in. And from nowhere, Mendy just comes up and and touches it right over the bar. And at that point, as a Brentford player, you got to think, what else do we have to do to get get a goal today? And and the answer is nothing. You did everything you could. You threw the best shot at Mendy, and he came up with with the answer.
0: And I think that's a very well-said segment because that leads into the praise that Brentford deserve. Of course, with the Premier Chelsea, of course we're going to talk mostly about Chelsea here, but Brentford in that second half, were exceptional. And we'll, we'll jump into Chelsea and we'll talk about why I'm disappointed with their performance. But I thought that they came out with a game plan. I thought that they came out with more energy. I thought that they said, we're playing in front of our home fans. We need to show everything we can to try and get something out of this game. In fact, I think before the game started, their manager had said, we're going to get something out of this game. It just shows the confidence that he's putting into these players. And I believe this is their first time in the Premier League, if I'm not mistaken. So for, for new boys to be again, with all respect, punching above their weight and doing what they did and just keeping Mendy busy. How many times do we come to a game Rahul, and say, yeah, Mendy or our goalkeepers just sat on the sidelines waiting for something to happen? <laughs> Not in this game. No, I think overall, I'm looking over here. They had 17 shots on goal with seven directly on target. If that doesn't tell you Mendy was busy, you got to show me another stat then, my friend.
1: And and I think if Alex was on, he would share the expected goals, um, as he as he loves to share. And Chelsea's, I believe, was 0.28, which is horrible for a team that you know has all this attacking talent. And and Brentford's, I believe, was over one closer to one and a half. Yeah. So they, apart from the stat you shared, they were there waiting to score the goals. Uh, And I think the Brentford manager said at one point in the buildup that Lukaku's salary is basically what this whole squad is worth in a year or something like that, which if you think about it, we had the, the better striker on paper, at least, and he didn't do what most of that Brentford's attacking line was doing. Uh, and that's credit to them, credit to their system and credit to them believing in the manager system and saying, this is how we play. We're going to make it tough for whoever it is. It doesn't matter if you're champions of Europe, champions of England or just a team from North London. Uh, we're going to make it tough. And and they did. And congratulations to them. And I think they will survive in this league. And we, we you and I and Alex will be here again talking about how we got, got our relegation prediction wrong. Yeah, if they continue like this next season when we do our relegation predictions, I
0: will not be <laughs> selecting them. Look, they, they look like they're going to survive. They're playing very well. They're performing very well. So at this point, if they don't survive, obviously something will have to go horribly wrong for them. But let's talk a little bit about Chelsea because I personally, Rahul, was disappointed. I picked us for a 3 nail win. And on the surface, yes, there's a little bit of humor to that. Like, yeah, we're champions of Europe. We should be beating them three-nil. You said, I'll be happy with a one nail win. And to be perfectly frank, I would have been happy with the 1-0 when I think it comes down to the performance. Yes, it was a tough game. Yes, we put everything out there. But on paper, like you said, we should be performing better, especially in that second half. The first half was great, like you said. We've done a lot of positive analysis there. What went wrong in that second half? Because to me, I don't want to go in week in, week out, where it's a game of two halves or on paper
1: we're better, but we just can't do the business. Honestly, I, I don't know what went wrong. It was, we were doing well in the first half. We were, and I, before, you know, before we get further into the segment for anyone listening and Chelsea fans, we're not complaining or being brats that our team should be best all the time. We've given Brentford the credit that they deserve, but we've got to talk about Chelsea and and why it's not just this game. I think it's kind of been the pattern over the season where, we do well in one half, and then the other half, whether that's the first or second half, we're kind of just average or, or below the the mark that we've set. And this happened in the second half of this game where you shared the stat. We had no shots on target in the second half. We just came out and said, we're going to defend. And I don't know if that's, the mentality from the squad or, or the, or the club or, you know, the, the coaching organization, which I don't think it is because you could see Tuto was frustrated. Yeah. He wanted us to push out. He wanted us to come out of the defensive, you know, play and, and just kind of keeping it tight because he knew without Mendy or something going wrong with Anthony Taylor there, especially <laughs> we're, we're basically one mistake or one foul away from conceding. And, and it's concerning because we, you know, we, we get away from the win and it kind of papers uh, covers over the cracks, but again a, against a team with maybe a more potent or a more clinical attack, we could have lost three, four, one and, and that's concerning. Yeah, and it's not I would say not even just a clinical or potent attack, I think on a different day.
0: Just if we were not riding yeah. our luck the way we were riding our luck for that entire second half, we could have been thoroughly beaten. And sometimes I've seen this Rahul, where we go, you know, one nail down, and then we wake up. And I'm wondering, what are we waiting for? Do we need to concede a goal before we wake up? And again, I'll talk about the defensive line because I thought they were good. So I don't want to make this sound like we're we're not doing them justice. But apart from Loftus Cheek, I was disappointed in Kante and Kovacic. They always play well, and that's that's a key word here. They play well, but they want as physical or as involved as they could be to really help us control the game, especially in that second half. Once you lose control of that midfield, they were all over us. They were just running over us. And when we did have the ball, that didn't seem like a plan of how to play it out. We would just lump it forward and even lumping it forward. It's like, are you looking for Lukaku or just hitting and hoping that he'll chase or land at him? Same with Timo Werner. Maybe he'll catch it. There wasn't really a strategy of, we need an out where we can hold the ball a little bit, give our defense a minute to breathe, regroup, and then kind of get control of the game. That second half, we, it was—it reminded me of us playing Bayern Munich in the 2012 Champions League final where we just sat there and said, <laughs> look, we have enough now. Let's just pray nothing else happens. And, and of course, Mendy pulled up Petr like saves and kept us alive that entire game. But I, I don't want us who are champions of Europe, and we are trying to go into the next phase, whether we win the Premier League or at least compete for the Premier League, to struggle like this week in, week out. It's never been a consistency. I can't remember the last time where we said 90 minutes we were in control. And I think that's the next step for 90 minutes where we get in control and do a, a good job.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And, and yes, it's fun and the banter that comes with, you know, being able to say, well, we only really need to be, need to be good for half a game. But we saw that a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about how we were off against Spurs in that first half and turned it off in the second half. But then we came up against Man City, and, and right. that didn't work. We came up against Juventus, and that didn't work. Right. And it's only a matter of time because we face difficult teams. Yes, we've said in the last episode, oh, the next month should be relatively easy, in quote. But you never know. We we've right. go up against in the Champions League against Malmo. We have North City. It's all about North City maybe getting a goal and, and we're now struggling to to get back in it. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but the point is nothing's guaranteed in football and you've got to earn it. And we've earned it, yes, in portions, but like you said, we've got to earn it throughout a whole game and get more out of Lukaku because ultimately getting our defenders to score, getting our midfielders, midfield, midfielders to score is great. But Lukaku is there to do a job, which is score goals. Maybe, you know, get more out of the players around him. But we're not unlocking him. And the sooner we start doing that, the more we'll dominate games for a longer period than just a half.
0: Yeah, very well said. I think that needs to start to be the focus of Tuchel's training or maybe start to be the focus of us as a team. Maybe looking for that killer path like Kovacic did too, I think. Lukaku in Aston Villa maybe where he found a beautiful through ball we need to do more of that because we're waiting till the very end and I'm seeing Werner and Lukaku make runs after runs after runs and we're just not finding them so it's it's disappointing I think yes we should be on here and happy and joyful that we won and trust me I am happy and joyful that we won we are just trying to get to that next level where I can say with confidence week in week out When I say 3-0, we're going to get to 3-0. But now now I'm going to hope for a draw in the next game. No, look, I'm just kidding. I want to talk a little bit about the three at the back. I know we touched on them very early on in the segment. That's Malang Saar and then Christensen and Trevor Chaloba. And I'm going to start with Saar because he was signed not this season, but last season. Then he went on loan to Porto. I did a little bit of research on him. He only made eight appearances in the league for them. And then... Basically, what happened, either he got demoted or moved around to Porto B. Yes, he played quite a few games for them in the Champions League and they had a decent run in the Champions League. But overall, nothing out of the ordinary, nothing stellar, uh, just a decent loan opportunity uh, just to keep him moving and getting chances in Europe. He comes back to Chelsea. We're champions of Europe. We have a bunch of centre-backs. We actually sold one centre-back, sold another centre-back. We sold a third centre-back. And it's like, wow, we have so many centre-backs. Where is this kid going to fit? Uh, it looks like he couldn't get alone, couldn't figure things out. So he gets a squad number. In fact, he didn't get a squad number until probably the last day before there was time to register players makes his debut at Brentford, which after you heard this entire conversation, you no, know, it was not, not an easy day. And honestly, Rahul, when he started, I was a little bit nervous, but within the first 20 minutes, you could see why Chelsea wanted this boy. Cause there is quality to him now. We've seen that many times. We said that about many players. And what he does with this and goes on from here is going to be
1: very, very important to watch. But I was thoroughly impressed with the young man. I was too. And and there's one more piece that added to the nervous energy around him was in preseason, I believe it was at home against Spurs in the mind series game where he came on and was just all over the place. I think he played the same left center back position where he played in this game. And He was making mistakes. He was giving the ball away. And so I think seeing his name on the team sheet, people started thinking back to that. And it was like, we're playing Brentford and and we know it's going to be tough. And now we have this added piece of we don't know what to expect from him. And and that was right. But he like you said, he came in the first five, 10, 15 minutes. He settled into the game, did some of the basic things very right and grew into it, grew his confidence. And even the commentators were, were talking about it and were saying, Malung Sars looks pretty good in, in, in what he's done so far. And he grew into that, was a big reason why we kept that clean sheet apart yeah. from Mendy. Uh, and congratulations to him. I think the stats, I, I had them open here. I'll read them real quick. He had the most clearances in this game. He had the most interceptions. He had the third most possession one and the third most tackles all on his Premier League debut.
0: Yeah, excellent to hear those things. And the one that stuck out to me the most was in that second half where we were short on men at the back. And he actually comes from the left center back position all the way to the right center back position to cover. And that's a mark of someone who's learning well, understanding how to read the game, which is so important because there are many talented center backs out there. But learning to read the game and knowing when to cover your teammate when they're short is a very, very important feature of, of your game. And so... I, for one, I'm hopeful. Again, we've had many center backs, and the three I was talking about it was Tamori, then we had um Mark Guihi leave, and yeah. then last was uh Kirk Zuma. So we've had center backs leave, and so him him staying
1: behind. Hopefully, he can make a name for himself and continue from there. I, I agree, and, and we've got to talk about the other guy, other center back on the other side. Uh Trevor Chaloba again starting his first game away from home this season. Yeah. And he was, I think it was in the first half or maybe in the second half, he was basically having a, a duel with Ivan Tony. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he wasn't backing down. He was, you know, shoving him and giving him the shoulder. And for a young man, he's he's showing his confidence. And the the most impressive thing was his reading of the game where uh, Mendy had committed to a shot. It fell back to a Brentford player and they took a shot at goal and Mendy wasn't there. But Chalaba had read the, yeah. the play and came back and cleared it off the line. Uh, which reminded me of Thiago Silva, reminded me of what Ashley Cole used to do sometimes back yeah. in the day. Uh, and so this kid, uh, Malang Sar was great. Trevor Chalaba was great. And in the middle of did did what he's been doing for the past nine, 10 months. And uh, I said it a few episodes ago, maybe at the beginning of the season, I got it wrong with Christensen and I'll say it again. I got it wrong and, and he's proving me wrong game after game. Yeah, and with Chalo Rahul, I think that moment you talked about him clearing it off the line, he saved
0: my breakfast because I was ready <laughs> to throw up when that moment happened. So thank you for doing that. And honestly, I, I almost wonder if Tuchel and the Chelsea staff saw something in him, hence the reason we let Guhi go, hence the reason Kurt Zuma went. Now, tomorrow was a slightly different option. I know it was a but I'm wondering if they're looking around and going, hey, we're going to make a sizable profit on these three young men. We have a lot of center backs, and here we have one that we've invested nothing in; it's cost us nothing, but he's going to be a real good talent in the years to come. And after seeing him week in week out, I know it's very early days, but I think I'm in love with this boy. He is just so physical, which is something that I don't want to put any other center back down because they they all are very physical. But I think at his young age, to show his physicality is something that I really like. I think we've missed that sometimes with previous generations of center backs, and he's just not. He just not afraid to play from the back, which is something that we've seen before where a center back knows, Hey, I'm under pressure. Just chuck it up front. He's looking for the pass. He works really well with that. Queta on that, right. Or when Reese is playing. So hopefully another one that we need to see is some good, good games coming from in the, in the season forward.
1: Yeah. And all I can say both in star and uh, Chalabas cases, thank you Sevilla for not selling us Koundé because If he had come in, no disrespect to him, he's a great center back. He would have taken some of these opportunities away from the young guys. And Sevilla, at the last minute, said we want more money than we had agreed on. And and that, I think, works out in our favor so far. Yeah, and look, Thiago Silva
0: is a machine. I'm not going to put him down either, but he's 37. So at some point, he's going to want to hang up his boots. Rudiger's contract situation is up in the air So Tuchel having these two in the wings that are young and I know Sari signed, but he is now going to be a youthful Chelsea player to say the least. Having these two in the wings with Christiansen, and if things don't work out with Silva and Rudiger, maybe not signing a contract looking elsewhere,
1: not a bad back three based on what I saw in this past game. I agree. And on the Rudiger piece not to get too fur, too deep into it, but I'm right. seeing figures of 400,000 pounds a week, which would make him the highest earner in the squad. For how much I love Rudiger and everything right he's done, I, I'll open this up to you and, and our followers. Does he deserve to be earning that kind of money at Chelsea? I mean, you don't have to answer it now. We can kind of open it up for, for a further mm-hmm. episode, but maybe it's a good conversation
0: conversation to have because we're almost wrapped up with the Brentford segment. Look, I love Antonio Rüdiger. Speaking of physicality, that's why I didn't throw some names in there. He is the beast of that center back line because he does not shy down from a, from a confrontation, but Chelsea have done a good job of managing their books. Chelsea have done a good job of balancing salaries and they've made it a point where if a player gets bigger than the team, then they're no longer set to fit in the team. So I love him but if he's not able to come into a, an agreement with the Chelsea club and figure out what numbers work then unfortunately we'll have to pathways path because if the other player other teams out there willing to pay that that's good for Rudiger he'll go and get a good payday but we have to find a balance and not upset the balance of the rest of the team there especially with the young three boys at the back doing extremely well i think that's a good way to you know let him move on then
1: i 100% agree with you and i'd love to hear the the take from our listeners because some people may say give him the money and that, that's totally fine too, but right. that's just crazy money for me. And I, I can't see how Marina and Chelsea are going to say, yeah, here you go after we want to give you 125,000, which is way off that 400,000 right. mark. Again, early negotiations could be tactics to get just a point where both, club, both parties are, are comfortable, but to our listeners, we'll put it up on Instagram. We'll actually put it up on Spotify too. And you can let us know what you think. Yeah, it'll be a fun one.
0: Okay, so the game finishes 1-0. It was something where I, when that final whistle blew, I was like, thank God (laughs) this game is over. It needed to be done. We needed the win. And, you know, other results had to
1: happen, but it takes us to the top of the league. It does. And we've been there for the last few weeks. Forget the international break. We've been there for like three weeks now. (laughs) (laughs) So, Raul, I got to ask you, man of the match for this game. It was a tough one, but who do you have? There's only one wall, I mean, man I can pick and that's Eduardo Mendy. Again, if you're on YouTube, you're watching me pointing to my background right here.
0: Eduardo Ed, Mendy. <laughs> that is great. I, I think I'm going to stick with Mendy as well, but I've got to give some honorable mentions to Malang Sar, who we've touched on and Ruben Loftus-Cheek, especially in that first half. So let's move on and talk about some more Premier League games because my goodness, it was a fun packed weekend. Let's kick it off with Watford versus Liverpool. What can you share with
1: us there? There's not much to share. <laughs> it was it promised to be a, a game that you know from the past fixtures between these two sides uh, would be exciting, but Liverpool just turned it on and, and ruined Claudio Ranieri's first match on the Watford as a Watford manager. And you've got to talk about one, two players, I guess, Firmino getting a hat trick, and he comes in. I guess from just being left out or injured right. uh, and gets a hat-trick, which is great for him. And and Mohamed Salah, he's just that goal. He scored, man. I was like, is this messy in disguise? Mohamed Salah is basically playing
0: FIFA on amateur mode right now, <laughs> now, because that young man is just having a blinder week in week out. I mean, if he doesn't get on the score sheet, I start to wonder if he even played the game because he is incredible. And that goal he scored, I'm kidding. If you're not see if, if you have not seen it, I'm not kidding. He's like on FIFA mode here, just amateur dribbling through players and slotting at home whenever he feels like it. So I know he's also in contract talks and his contract is, I think a year or a year and a half away from ending Liverpool need to do whatever they need to do. When you talk about $400,000 or pounds, whatever, uh, maybe they can find a way to work him in there. Cause my goodness, he is just incredible. He's been brilliant for them. And I think we said it early on in the season, Rahul, that, this Liverpool fully fit with all their players
1: and no more problems. They're going to be a real problem for all teams in the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. And they're undefeated. They're unbeaten this season. Uh, They sit below us by one point, mainly because they've drawn an extra game Um, and they're doing the business. I think we're not even talking about their defensive issues from last season or, you know, if they're missing Allison like they did in this game or Trent, in, in the, one of the previous games, because the attacks doing the business and the rest of the team is just following through. Uh, and the other thing I noticed was Fabinho missed this game, and so their midfield was a little bit light. Right. But they scored five goals and make it seem like it was just a full strength squad. Yeah, bit all business with Liverpool so far. And for Claudio Ranieri,
0: Ranieri, they asked him when he was at Leicester. He said if they kept a clean sheet against <laughs> Liverpool, he would buy his team. Pizza, he said. If Watford can keep a clean sheet against Liverpool, he will buy all of them fancy dinners. So, <laughs> sorry, Watford boys, he's probably going to make you, you know, clean the, the shoes or something because <laughs> of this performance. But look, no, no shame. Liverpool has just been excellent so far this season. So, let's talk about Leicester, Manchester United, and Rahul. I thought you had a
1: lot to say in the last episode about Manchester United's away record. Here, I did. I, they haven't lost a game. I think that they have the record for most undefeated games away from home but united doing united things and i i, I didn't watch the game and i mean i, I look at it i say 4-2 all right it's leicester you know it's a decent team in, in the league it's a premier league anybody can beat anybody but from what i've heard from my friend in australia nikesh who supports manchester united he is kind of heading towards that all layout train because they seemed all over the place in this game You know, I actually watched the game
0: and Mason Greenwood scored an absolute screamer to open up the game. And it starts like that. And like you said, Manchester United on this away rocket record, it should just be easy. Ronaldo's playing. Fernandez is playing. (laughs) It's going to be amazing. But Greenwood scores 1-0. Tillemans comes back, who scores another good goal, 1-1. And then Leicester come in to make it 2-1. And you're like, okay, the tables have turned. Marcus Rashford, back from injury, equalizes a few minutes later. And you're like, oh, great. It's going to be a fantastic end. Jamie Vardy, not a minute later, puts the third one in. And you're like, oh, grand slam finish. And then Leicester puts the sword to them with that fourth goal. And you're sitting there going, what happened? What went wrong? How did we go from winning 1-0 to 2-2 to losing this game 4-2? And you you got to wonder, with all the talent matches United have, and I'm not saying Leicester are... Lacking talent, i just said some great names. Tillemans, Vardy, Soyuncu scores a goal. The game management piece, which we've just criticized Chelsea for, with that one nail, where is that for Manchester United and Ole at the wheel?
1: It's, it's not there. It's, I think this was their third defeat or third time they've dropped points in the last four or five games. And that's a concern there, right? Is like they have the squad, they have the tools, they have the best player or arguably one of the best players on the planet. And they're not performing as a unit. They're not performing as a team that should be doing as well as the individual talent that they have. And is it down to Ole or is it down to the players not performing or working as a a team? And I think someone was saying, it might have been Gary Neville, that he shouldn't be afraid to drop some of these big names or sub some of these big names to have the overall balance of the team. At a point where they're not conceding goals a minute after scoring one, right? Um, and and I you can't disagree with that. But and ultimately it'll come down to if Ole can turn it around, and if he can't, then United will go out and look for someone like we did when when Lampard was let go, look for someone with maybe a, a higher level in terms of experience as well as tactical awareness and. Maybe they will bounce back, but it is it is concerning because they now have, I think, Liverpool coming up, Spurs mm-hmm. coming up, Manchester City coming up. So, tough games on the horizon, and and Ole's got a little bit of time, but, you know, whenever that man is under pressure, he turns into Sir Alex Ferguson in his prime 98 team about to win the treble, and he gets results. He sure does, and I think he actually scored in that 98 <laughs> Champions League
0: final, so... You you never know with Oleg. So we'll just wait and watch. You know, it's a tough, tough situation for them. But let's move on to Everton versus West Ham here. And this was an interesting one because we covered it in the last episode. Both teams are doing very
1: well. But thoughts on this one? Yeah, it was. I honestly thought it would be a a draw. I don't know if I predicted that in the last episode, but Everton... Missing said missing Dominic Calvert Lewin, still had enough, or in my opinion, had enough to to get the business done. But sometimes with the with Rafa Benitez, you tend to be a little too defensive. Mm-hmm. And I think I saw the stats at one point that West Ham had like seventy percent of the ball, yeah. and Everton at home were struggling to just defend and and keep a, uh, keep the ball. And that in itself is frustrating if you're an Everton fan because. Everton have always had the potential. have always had decent managers, decent players, but for some reason or the other, it never clicks. And it seems like after a promising start, they're kind of finding issues and finding ways to not win games. But West Ham, on the other hand, hang in there in terms of going away from home and getting one goal and getting the three points. And David Moyes returning to the club
0: that he really made his name at for a long time. But in all fairness to, to Everton, I think they'll bounce back from this, this one. It just was a, an off day at the market. I actually did watch the game and I thought they didn't really look like scoring and West Ham did look like they'd get another one. So an off day at the market for, for Everton. Let's talk about Newcastle versus Spurs. And I think this was the first game since they've been acquired. Uh, we saw the new ownership or management, not, not actual football management, but the CEO
1: level management sitting in the stands all excited. What can you share with us about this one? I watched this game, I'm sure if you follow us on the on Instagram you saw some of the highlights that I shared and that atmosphere was rocking. I mean yeah. the fans were buzzing before the kickoff and like you said, the ownership team was there and they were introduced to the fans and everyone was cheering and, and having a great time and Newcastle started like they they were ready to kick off this new era mm-hmm. with um, you know, with a bang, and Callum Wilson gets that first goal, and I'm like, "All right, like this might turn into turn into an issue for Spurs." But it was weird because after 15, 20 minutes, Spurs just came back into the game, and Dom bends one into the net, and Harry Kane, thanks for that for my fantasy team, gets <laughs> gets one as well, and all of a sudden it's two one, and you're thinking as a Newcastle fan, here we go again. Like we were supposed to be, you know, this was supposed to be our day and this was supposed to be our moment to celebrate. And it just fell apart in terms of all the the atmosphere and everything that was going their way just went out the window. And it was obviously that incident with the fan and we wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, So that may have also impacted the overall um, feeling in the Newcastle camp because they came back from that, you know, that break that they had to take for, Uh, attending to the fan in in the stand, and they can see the third, and it's 3-1 right before halftime, and from that point on, Newcastle tried. They had a few moments in the second half, but Spurs did pretty well to manage the game. They did score an own goal at the end from Eric Dyer, but Newcastle didn't really have an answer, And, and that's where it's going to be tough for the new ownership group, where that it's not just about buying new players. It's about buying the right players that can get Newcastle out of the relegation zone. Yeah. And then they build towards Europe and doing, doing the big things that they want to do. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, and touching on the incident that happened, I thought we have criticized referees quite a bit on this show, but the refereeing and the premier league staff, and actually the doctors from both sides, uh, stewards, staff, everybody involved really did a, a stellar job of coordinating uh, making sure that things were out of the way making sure the players got out of the pitch just so that all the medical help necessary for that person who had collapsed or had a heart issue we don't know the exact details was was well received and credit to a couple of the football players as well I think it was Sergio Regulon and and maybe uh, Eric Dyer that said hey something's wrong we probably need to pause and and figure out what's going on so I think the latest news we have is that person is stable. So it's good good news to hear. And of course,
1: the game did continue after that, but I thought overall it was very well handled in that situation. I agree. And and just another kind of piece to share on that was NBC sports. And, and you know, we watch it here in the US. They cover the Premier League, Rebecca Lowe and, and the team that of, of pundits in, in the studio covered it very well informative. Uh, I think one of the complaints we had from the Christian Erickson incident was the cameras just stayed on, on the whole incident. And in this case, they didn't. They cut away. They went into the studio. They obviously gave us the information, which was very helpful and informative, but they were respectful throughout the whole process. So just another great piece of coverage from them. Yeah, absolutely. All right, one more game that's not kicked off yet, but
0: will kick off tomorrow to wrap up Premier League week is Arsenal versus Crystal Palace. No reason we want to chat about this one is Patrick Vieira coming home. Rahul, your thoughts on
1: this game? It should be exciting. I, I, can't, you know, I personally can't relate because I'm not an Arsenal fan, but uh, he's come into the Premier League. He's had kind of a long journey. I think he started off with um, New York City FC here in the U.S., mm-hmm. went to France, Um, And now finally has a job in the Premier League and it's a London derby. It's Crystal Palace against Arsenal. And he should should be buzzing in terms of going back to the Emirates and um, maybe ruining our tether's day. Yeah, and it's 13th versus 14th in Arsenal versus Crystal Palace. So that's going to be an
0: interesting one as well. And speaking of positions in the table, maybe we can look at the table right before we move into our Champions League review, your preview. Uh, We're looking at the table with Chelsea in first with 19 points holding on to that position. I see Raul having a sly smile over there. Liverpool in second with 18 points. Manchester City in third with 17 points. And Brighton and Hove Albion. I slow down here because they have been doing the business week in, week out. They are sitting in fourth. That is correct. Fourth with 15 points. I'll go down to the bottom. Norwich in Smack bottom 20th with two points. Newcastle United, unfortunately, sitting there as well in 19th with three points. And then Burnley in 18th with three points. So things have to change quickly because none of those three teams have a win so
1: far. Two surprising things that I'm just looking at the table. Tottenham in fifth after the horrendous three games that they had, sitting ahead of Manchester United. And Leeds United sitting in 17th, which... It's a surprise for me because they were so good last season. Uh, so Bielsa has some work to do ahead of him, but I think they should be okay. We'll find out in the games to come. All right, Rahul, should we move on to our Champions League preview? Let's do it. I We... We need a win here. We <laughs> lost last time against Juventus, and the table currently is Juventus in first, Chelsea in second, Zenit St. Petersburg in third, and Malmo, our next op- uh, opponent, in fourth. So we face Malmo at the bridge on Wednesday afternoon, U.S. time, or, or 8 p.m. in the U.K., and uh, a game that on paper should be fairly straightforward for Chelsea. Um, but we've seen that some of these games where we're expected to win, we make a meal out of it. So to avoid this, who would you start, Jackie? Look, I think Mendy, as you said, Ed Waldo has to (laughs)
0: always play at this point. He's in the form of his life. You can't stop him from holding on to the number one spot. Uh, I think for the center back pairing, uh, three center back pairing, maybe we look at Aspilicueta slotting back in giving by a little bit of a break. If Tiago can play Tiago Silva, if he's fit and feeling good and he's not quarantining anymore, he needs to get a game. And then that left center back position has to go to Antonio Rudiger. If he's fit. However, I'd like to give a shout out to Malang Sarr. I thought he performed so well, that if, if Tuchel's feeling in his heart to let him have a second game, then definitely one. Rudiger's played a lot this season. So letting him have a break early on is, is worth it in my opinion. Um, right wing back. Reese James, I know he had a slight bit of a niggle injury in that in that ending towards that game, but I would pick him and then left wing back keep Chilly free. I don't want to put him back into, <laughs> into jail if we don't have to. Uh, in the middle, I'd like to see Ruben continue, but this time play alongside Jorginho. I wonder if that would be an interesting pairing with the two of them starting together. Uh, I'd like to go back to the regular formation of the three up front with Havertz and Mount in behind Lukaku. That's a, that's
1: a strong 11 and. Anyway can't really disagree with much of it. I don't know if he'll play quote-unquote two anchor midfielders in, in Loftus-Cheek and Jorginho, but that would be a good pair to see. Uh, and I think Havertz needs this game to kind of get back into form and maybe yeah. get a goal for himself because he's falling down in terms of the the order, it's like you were saying earlier with um, Jorginho. I think Havertz is kind of slipping too. So important moment for him to or important game, I beg your pardon, for him to kind of make a difference and and get his name back into Tuchel's mind.
0: Yeah, and Lukaku as well. He's going through a little bit of a dry spell. And it's funny that we say four or five games without a goal is a dry spell, but it is these days, especially for a record front man. So I would like to see him get a goal or two in this game. I
1: agree. It would be very good for him and for our goal difference here because we've scored one, we've conceded one, and we said we have a goal difference of zero. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So speaking of goals, do you have a prediction in mind for us here? I am going to take a page out of your book and go (laughs) with a 3-0 for Chelsea. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. We're all looking for goals. I'm going to go with 4-0 with (laughs) Lukaku getting two goals this time around. That's So goals all around, and and that would be great uh, because we need them, and it would be nice to get some of the players like Lukaku on the score sheet because then we have... North City coming and and, um, Newcastle United. So good games coming up. Um, And if we win and if Juventus drop points, we could close that gap uh, to first base. So let's let's hope for some decent results here in midweek and we'll keep you updated. Uh, I think I will not be able to post highlights of this game, but um, I will try my best to see if I can. Um, But... I think that's, that's all we've got for today. Thanks for listening. Uh, please come to su- subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels on Apple, Spotify, uh, Google, YouTube, and Instagram. Uh, and on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. And as always send us your feedback and we will be back to do a Malmo review and a Norwich City preview, but until then stay safe and up the Chels.